thousand sunsets from ten thousand mornings, ten thousand chances to live the right way. But I would trade all my ten thousand sunsets. I could be like Jesus for one single day. I'd walk on the water and heal the sick children, feed all the hungry, give sight to the blind. I'd turn all the cannons and guns into flowers, turn all the whiskey to sacrament wine. That's what I'd do. That's what I'd do. Ten million stars are shining above. But I would trade all of my ten thousand rainbows. I could be like Jesus and give all my love. I'd remind the people that hate is an evil thing. Laugh at the children and tell them a tale. Welcome back to the Two Spies Report. I'm Mike Bennett. In this report, we will continue in our introduction to the enigmatic British philosopher and metaphysicist Gerald Hurd, who established a number of discrete social and philosophical movements within America in the 20th century, including a critical period in the mid-century when his mystical writings were promoted and disseminated by the early conservative Christian mass media periodicals like Faith and Freedom newsletters in the 1950s, which were read by and influenced uh, clergy and their flock in their widespread readership across America. This information is derived from a recitation of a historical section of my last book, Two Masters and Two Gospels, Volume 1, The Teaching of Jesus versus the Leaven of the Pharisees and Talk Radio and Cable News. While previously we have reviewed statements as to Hurd's nature, background, and social impact from his close associates and disciples, in this report we will begin to dig deeper into the details of Hurd's life and significant figures he touched from an actual biographer of Hurd, who did not know Hurd personally, but became deeply moved and influenced by Hurd's life and perspective particularly in swapping their own substance abuse with introspective, inward, metaphysical pursuits suggested by Hurd. The following is a resumption of the narrative for my book. One of the books that comes up in research on Hurd and his interactions with Aldous Huxley and even Bill Wilson, founder of Alcoholics Anonymous, as three men who experimented with LSD together, is the 2012 book Distilled Spirits, Getting High, Then Sober, with a famous writer, a forgotten philosopher, and a hopeless drunk, by Don Latin, which can be found online in excerpted form in Google Books. 
The book, published by the University of California Press and praised by one of these men's famous peers, comparative religions professor and author Dr. Houston Smith, gives a lot of salacious details of Hurd and these men and those in their circle, with such details otherwise scattered about and various references. He talks about how Hurd integrated himself in a circle of gay writers and poets in London, such as Christopher Isherwood, uh, J.R. Ackerley, and W.H. Auden, and described them as particularly promiscuous, with Ackerley's biographer writing of Hurd that, quote, Hurd was particularly interested in homosexuality and spent much energy attempting to discover the psychological impulse behind buggery. Homosexual himself, he was also much taken up with the phenomenon of promiscuity and carried out an ad hoc field study amongst his friends, finding in Ackerley's circle a rich source of primary material, unquote. Now, Latin adds that, quote, Around this time, Hurd met a wealthy young dilettante named Christopher Wood. Wood, who was 11 years younger than Hurd, was the heir to the British grocery fortune of Petty Wood and Company. In 1929, Hurd and Wood moved into an apartment together at 28 Portman Square in London's West End. They were a bit of an odd couple. Hurd was interested in ideas and religion. Wood was a materialist and a consumer of fine objects. Wood would become Hurd's longtime companion and traveling partner. In 1937, the couple would come to America on the same ocean liner as Aldous uh, Huxley and Maria and young Matthew Huxley. Hurd underwent a profound spiritual conversion in the early 1930s that inspired him to chart a new course in life, which included, quote, renouncing sexual relations, unquote, said uh, John Roger Berry, literary ex uh, executor of the Hurd estate and the adopted son of J. Michael Berry. After the, after the conversion, everything changed. He embraced celibacy. He began practicing spiritual disciplines. Well, if this is true, then it would explain how Hurd would be able to live in a fashionable part of Los Angeles with only the modest income from specialty books and an occasional lecture or two, even arriving before real estate there took off, as well as his lifelong bachelorhood. This book contains much more data, including the involvement of Hurd and Huxley with Alcoholics Anonymous founder Bill Wilson as they introduced him to LSD, which Wilson wanted to try, and to see if he could replicate the spiritual experience he had originally with his Belladonna cure, using Belladonna, a.k.a. Nightshade, and another entheogenic deliriant herb, Henbane, which gives the sensation of flying, and some have asserted was conflated with the myths of witches all of which led uh, to his original sobriety. A video of Gerald Hurd talking to Dr. Sidney Cohen, who participated in many of these LSD experiments, is currently available on YouTube. Although these previous statements were taken from the abbreviated portions of Don Latin's book, Distilled Spirits, that is available online via Google, I recommend that the interested uh, reader or listener obtain an actual copy of the fascinating book itself, for it fills in many more fascinating details about Hurd, Huxley, and even Alcoholics Anonymous founder Bill Wilson and their circles. For example, Latin notes that Hurd inspired Michael Murphy, the co-founder of the famous Esalen Institute, 
which some view as the founding and central site of the New Age movement in the Big Sur area of California's coast, to found the entity after meeting with him, with Hurd. Comparative religion scholar Dr. Houston Smith, author of The World's Religions, having sold more than two million copies since 1958, had read every book Hurd had written, and during his Ph.D. work found Hurd in Trabuco Canyon, which led to Hurd introducing Aldous Huxley to him. Latin also notes that Alcoholics Anonymous founder Bill Wilson was deeply involved with Hurd, having met at Trabuco College in the 1940s and had a lifelong correspondence, and that, quote, they even took LSD together. In fact, Gerald Hurd was Bill Wilson's guide on Wilson's first LSD trip in the summer of 1956. Wilson didn't simply try LSD. He started a salon in New York City where he and a group of friends continued to investigate the spiritual potential of psychedelics. Huxley, Wilson, and Hurd thought LSD, used cautiously, could help some people deepen their spiritual lives, unquote. He notes that Wilson, who died in 1971, had founded AA as, quote, one of the most successful spiritual movements of the 20th century, unquote. Huxley stated that Bill Wilson was the greatest social architect of the 20th century. Latin adds that Wilson's interest in the writings of Gerald Hurd inspired him to seek out Hurd during Wilson's first visit to California in the winter of 1943-44. Their friendship and spiritual collaboration continued over the next two decades. Wilson's practical, open-minded approach to religion helped change the way Americans envisioned the divine. Now, regarding Hurd's associate, Brave New World author Aldous Huxley, he writes that he died the same day as John F. Kennedy was assassinated in 1963 the same day that prominent author C.S. Lewis also died, I might add. And he experienced a, quote, long, happy, and unorthodox marriage to Maria Nice, a bisexual born in Belgium, unquote, spending the last 25 years of his life in Southern California, and that Hurd was Huxley's best friend and one of his most important mentors. Having met in London in 1929, and headed to the U.S. together in 1937. He notes that Hurd wrote, quote, pioneering articles on gay spirituality, but that the so-called godfather of the New Age movement was above all a mystic, and laid the foundation of the human potential movement of the 1960s and 1970s. Now, author Latin admits that he and the other children of the 1960s admired men like Hurd, Huxley, and Wilson because, now listen to this, quote, We didn't want to worship God. We wanted to experience God. Some of us wanted to be God. We were not interested in doctrine, dogma, or religious denominations. We wanted instant insight. We wanted to leave ordinary reality behind, to break on through to the other side, and there was no waste, no time to waste. Now he notes that, quote, Aldous Huxley was born into a family with a legacy of doubt and disbelief. And his grandfa grandfather, Thomas Henry Huxley, known as Darwin's bulldog for not only working for Darwin, but also being his staunchest public defender, had coined the term agnosticism, and one who engaged the religious leaders of his time with spirited public debate. 
and personally believed that any gnosis of the meaning of existence was unsolvable. He notes that Aldous and his brother Julian were baptized in the Church of England and given just enough religious education so that they might learn the mythology of their time and country. While Hurd suffered under the stultifying and brutal class culture from British schooling, Haddon notes that Huxley was a big believer in the British boarding school, which kept children from their parents for most of the year. Huxley saying that they have done much to accelerate the breakup of the family system in England, which he's bragging about, which Hatton says was a welcome development in Huxley's view, as Huxley saw in the future a decrease in the size and power of the family circle, as he wrote in his 1928 essay, The Decline of the Family. By 1932, Huxley was also lamenting society's loss of its secular faith, and in particular its faith in democracy and individualism and personal liberty, and faith in laissez-faire capitalism and unlimited competition. The big business libertarian principles of Huxley and dog-eat-dog Darwinism that would have fit well within the pages of Faith and Freedom. Even in the 1930s, Latin notes that Huxley expressed an interest in drugs and altered states of consciousness, believing that such people use such stupefacients because they are bored with their surroundings and because they are bored with themselves. While it is common for one to desire to transcend oneself, saying that society needs to develop a wholesome substitute to addictive substances, sounding like his own promotion of the stupefying drug Soma from his books to pacify and control the proletariat, in Huxley's Brave New World, while having his own psychedelic baptism by the early 1950s. Now, Gerald Hurd had a strict religious upbringing, which Latin described as abusive, with his father and grandfather being priests of Anglican evangelicalism, and Gerald reportedly beaten by his father, brothers, and a drunken nursemaid. His mother died when he was four years old. He was then raised by his grandmother, a Christian fundamentalist who taught that a child's will must be broken, with Heard later stating his grandmother's belief in eternal damnation had a strong and painful presence on my early life. At school, when he wasn't being bullied, he loved science and the writings of H.G. Wells, while his father wanted him to become a minister, and he studied such at Cambridge for a time, learning Hebrew and a Greek New Testament, and later served on the Council of the Society for Psychical Research there until he moved to the States in 1937. He had a nervous breakdown at the age of 27 on the eve of World War I, and with the secretary later surmising that it occurred because Gerald was on a collision course with doubt as to many of the doctrines of Christianity, changing his interest from the priesthood to scientific materialism with a social responsibility bent. Latin adds that another church doctrine that Hurd may have struggled with was the church's condemnation of homosexuality, for Hurd was also coming to terms with his own sexuality. Well, it is indeed curious to see that the many early informative influences on both Hurd and Huxley, which dictated their views about God, religion, family, and sexual expression. Yet again, religion was experienced in an avoidable, tragic light. And just a little insight, empathy, and tenderness 
on behalf of any of the family members at a critical point of her's life might have spared him alienation from a potential relationship with a personal God and some understanding of how his lack of a mother and relationship with peers impacted his sexual frustrations and understandings. Similarly, the legacy Huxley inherited of animosity to any divine intelligence that might guide our steps or offer a destiny of purpose and even accountability, championed by his immediate ancestors, deprived him of any opportunity to consider warm, familial relationships with the divine source of his very consciousness and their Darwinian disinterest of uh, immediate familial love, apart from survival considerations, led to his attachment to an identity with a substitute in strict social groups at school and ultimately a technocratic state. I see them both as men to be pitied, and as a sober reminder to me of my personal blessings of a modest home life of strong family bonds and love, and extended to our common creator and divine parent. In our next edition, we will continue with exploring further exploits of the adult herd as he and Huxley migrated to America, and the establishment of new expressions of spirituality in the burgeoning spiritual melting pot in Southern California, as excerpted from my book, Two Masters and Two Gospels, Volume 1, The Teaching of Jesus versus the Leaven of the Pharisees in Talk Radio and Cable News which I encourage you to obtain in print or ebook form, either at Amazon, Barnes & Noble, or other sites, to review this and far more expansive material on its subject and contemplate it in greater depth. However, our next segment will be our normal mid-show contemporary intelligence briefings. We will continue with our months-long investigation of Tim Ballard of Operation Underground Railroad and source of the film Sound of Freedom and document additional details of the actions of the key players looking to profit alongside Ballard and their subsequent betrayal of him once he had become radioactive. Before that, however, it's time for some music for meditation. In our last report on Heard, we mentioned that if Heard had not been stricken down with a stroke at the very start of the flower generation of hippies and the subsequent summer of love, he would have likely been the voice of their generation as they reached their acme. He would, however, have rebuked Timothy Leary's rather cavalier and reckless approach with psychedelic drugs and unstructured spiritual path while using them, although Heard somewhat made things up as he went, with a big dose of Eastern religious influence, and rather emphasized the supposed spiritual assistance these drugs might have provided in opening up new places and powers within the mind, although he might have soured on such even in his latter years. In addition to his pioneering work in establishing the beginnings of paranormal studies and UFO cultures in its earlier days, his bigger influences were in beginning the human potential movement and in introducing the first voyagers into psychedelic drug experiences, which were not hippies, but rather elite figures like congressmen, media moguls, business tycoons, and famous writers like Huxley and entertainers like Steve Allen and Cary Grant, and other self-help leaders like AA founder Bill Wilson, all under his and Dr. Sidney Gottlieb's supervision, using access to supplies not entirely understood. Now, the singer Donovan's song, Fat Angel, seems to refer to Mama Cass of the Mamas and the Papas, the 
somewhat heavy set single uh, in the middle of the 60s, uh, California music culture, who was really at the center of everything that was happening in the canyon, including introducing Crosby, Stills, and Nash into performing together, and eventually a place to get LSD by the rocker crowd. So, enjoy Fat Angel, and then we'll be back to the Two Spies Report. He will rain happiness in a pipe He'll ride away on his silver bike And apart from that, he'll be so kind In consenting to blow your mind Trans love airways get you there on time. Fly trans love airways get you there on time. He will bring our kids for my lady. The perfume will be of an excellent style. Apart from that, he'll be so kind in consenting to blow your mind. Fat friends love airways, get you there on time. Fat friends love airways, get you there on time. bike and apart from that he'll be so kind in consenting to blow your mind flat jeffers an airplane get you there on time flat jeffers an airplane get you there on Welcome back to the Two Spies Report. I'm Mike Bennett. In our last Contemporary Intelligence File Briefing, we began to unveil more serious charges about Tim Ballard and his Operation Underground Railroad operation that allegedly let it happen of purported sexual assault and grooming of married workers and volunteers to cooperate in his couples ruse scam to supposedly fool traffickers on operations by he and these women performing sexual acts on operations, and his extensive practice with them for lengthy periods at home beforehand, and the many figures in their operations that finally denounced it when confronted with allegations and the spotlight, or claimed no knowledge or responsibility as such. In this current report, we will review some further details from figures like media mogul Glenn Beck and psychic Janet Russon, who were similarly deeply involved in Ballard's operations, 
followed by further denials of other parties of their knowledge or even association. Once details of this greater ruse on donors and the public reported years ago by heroic figures like Lynn Ballard, uh, excuse me, um, Lynn Packer and the media outlet Vice, not long thereafter, were finally reaching the myopic world of part of the general public. We now review a September 16, 2023 email from Glenn Beck to Tim Ballard obtained by Freedom of Information request from the Davis County, Utah, and FBI investigations not long ago. In it, Beck tells Ballard that, quote, I have spoken to Elder Anderson, who is out of the country, Mike Lee, who is a senator, by the way, and Sean Reyes, who is also the state attorney general, today, unquote. Regarding Elder Anderson, a top-ranking Mormon official, he reportedly said, quote, He knew this was urgent and would be talking to some of the brethren and would get back to me this week. And he did urge caution for everyone until we know more from the church authorities, unquote. Beck responded by saying that, quote, I urged him that time was of the essence. Now, he adds, this is Glenn Beck adding, that, quote, Second, I spoke to Mike and Sean several times today as well. I feel strongly that, all caps here, we keep our powder dry until we know exactly what is happening with the church. I believe you should speak to Sean and Mike about an attorney outside of Utah. Okay, this is, this is to Tim Ballard, Glenn saying. That can soft-pitch the idea that you are asking for the church to be clear and go through the usual church court process. You welcome the order to return, so you may continue as a saint in good standing, which I currently am. You don't think it is a coincidence that you have been seriously considering a run for Senate as these accusations came forward. You pray that you, your family, and the church are protected from secret combinations that wish our faith and our country harm. Again, be careful here. A soft statement should be made on Monday, as we have proof of what happened within the church. When you have the truth, when Sean has proof of what he needs, Mike has evidence, he needs to prove anything political, I might even consider a credible investigator, this very well may be the first shot across the bow to let all of us know Satan has the unrighteous placed in all high places. We're playing chess now. The days behind us, I fear, will soon feel like we were playing Candyland. You have known the importance of your calling. The gates of hell have opened over and over for you, Kathleen and the family. If in the days in which we live are indeed what we think they are, the Lord will clean out his own house first. Unquote. Now, I think a motto from this narration, from his email is that the Mormon church in the state of Utah is a model theocracy, with this media mogul, Beck, paying many of the bills, a mouth, being a mouthpiece in their politics, and a recruitment tool with easy access to senators like Mike Lee, top church officials, and the supposedly firewalled attorney general, directing a joint, behind-the-scenes religious agenda through media, church, and state offices, 
as Beck shows their distrust of internal forces and an apocalyptic worldview that sees Ballard as a center of Mormonism accomplishing its end game versus the New World Order. Now, on September 19th, Vice provided some additional background on key Ballard partner and Sound of Freedom producer Paul Hutchinson and his disturbing behavior on their rescue operations, including touching the bare breast of an underage traffic girl as previously cited. Hutchinson is the highly successful real estate agent that journalist Lynn Packer said hosted the infamous whiteboard meeting where Ballard laid out his key figures to show how the rescue of trafficked children would be a big money-making operation at his mansion where Packer alleged some naughty goings-on had occurred before time. In their article, Vice reports that the infamous breast-touching incident with Hutchinson occurred during a Mexican raid in 2016. They write that, quote, footage of the incident and its aftermath was captured by videographers working with Operation Underground Railroad. An investigator with the Davis County Attorney's Office obtained the footage and wrote detailed descriptions of it as part of a criminal investigation into Ballard and Hour attained, uh, carried out with the FBI. The descriptions uh, were included among documents obtained by Vice News through a public records request, and make clear that the trafficking victim appeared to be, and was believed to be at the time by Hutchison and our operatives to be, about 16 years old. They also assert that our believed the footage had been destroyed. A description of one of the videos, written by an investigator, shows Hutchinson expressing concerns over whether he could be prosecuted by Mexican authorities over the incident. He was speaking to Matt Osborne, an our operative, who dismissed his worries by making clear he didn't think the video should be shown to the U.S. government. Osborne is currently the president and chief operating officer of our, or Operation Underground Railroad. They add that, quote, Hutchison, 52, is an anti-trafficking activist, philanthropist, and entrepreneur with lines in, amongst other things, ballistic protection technology and private vaults who's long been associated with the Utah anti-trafficking movement. According to his LinkedIn, he was the first investor in Sound of Freedom. Currently affiliated with the Child Liberation Foundation, he was a key fundraiser and operative for Hour before splitting with Ballard several years ago over, as he put in an email to Vice News, quote, similar reasons as those you are bringing the light in your stories, unquote. Provided with a detailed description of what was in the investigative files, he did not deny that the video showing him do what the, what the investigator's description said they did, or dispute that he had felt the trafficking victim's naked breast. They write that, quote, The footage reviewed by the investigators was taken part of the filming of The Abolitionist, a 2016 documentary movie and 2019 television series featuring Hutchison. The video they obtain and transcript from it reveals Hutchinson coming up to grab the girl's breast while another holds up her shirt until she pushes Hutchinson's hand off as he kisses her on the cheek. It then shows Hutchinson paying the man, bringing the girl, saying, For showing them to me right there, as the man promises to bring more 16. The video footage also shows them joking about grabbing a 16-year-old's breast later, 
but Hutchinson pleads that it's not that on their video. He asks the hour chief Osborne on a call on camera if he's going to get in trouble with Mexican authorities for touching a 16-year-old, to which Osborne says, I don't want this video to be HSI, the U.S. Embassy, because I'm sure, and I've done it before too one time, I'm sure that technically you guys probably entrap some of these people. At Paul Hutchinson's official website, he writes that Paul Hutchinson, a successful business owner, investor, and philanthropist, has dedicated his life to creating a world where every child can experience safety, freedom, and hope. In 2017, Paul founded the Child Liberation Foundation, which has led or held a critical role in over 70 undercover rescue missions in 15 countries. Paul is the primary investor and executive producer of the film Sound of Freedom. In his professional career, Paul's most notable accomplishment was co-founding a successful investment fund, which he retired from in 2017. He's been the keynote speaker to royalty and at family office conferences on six continents. Hutchinson is known and respected worldwide for his professional accomplishments and for the profound impact he's making in the lives of millions. It also lists a sampling of his accomplishments that he received an honorary doctorate degree for his humanitarian work, honorary colonel for the Utah Attorney General's Office, received a 2022 Medal of Freedom Award for Outstanding Achievement in the Global Fight to End Modern Slavery and Human Trafficking. He led over 43 undercover missions in 15 countries to identify and take down child trafficking rings. He's a board member of the Make-A-Wish Foundation, board member of the FBI Citizens Academy, trained by CIA operatives, Navy SEALs, and CRAV experts. Finance Chair, listen, for the Sean Reyes, Utah Attorney General, re-election committee member for Senator Mike Lee. Recognized by the Community Foundation of Utah as one of the enlightened 50 top innovators committed to the common good. Winner of the Global Race Award from Harvard Law School. Now, on September 20th, Vice further reported regarding psychic Janet Russon, whom Ballard and Auer used for almost Uh, most or all, of their rescues as their intelligence source. That, quote, an investigator wrote in the documents that they had learned that Russin was being paid a monthly consultant fee of approximately $5,000 with an hourly operational readings contract of approximately $1,560. That's uh, the hour for doing her psychic readings by hour and that the group relied on her visions to do operational planning for missions. Subsequently, she was named the Executive Director of Children Need Families, a for-profit company started by Ballard's wife, Catherine, which said it provided grants to families seeking to adopt children. At another point, while she served on the board of directors of another organization, she identified herself as ours Director of Strategic Alliances a description which did not mention her purported psychic abilities. Now, Auer replied, Janet Russin worked as a full-time executive director for the Children Need Families program for the last two years with a starting salary of $122,000 a year and final salary of $125,000. She left Auer shortly after Mr. Ballard's departure. 
Now, we previously reported how, according to investigative journalist Lynn Packer, representatives of our, the Davis County Attorney's Office, and the FBI met in a meeting in Salt Lake City, which revealed that a grand jury had been convened, which had been mysteriously aborted without any findings. Packer further asserted that Auer was almost certainly represented at that meeting by their chief legal counselor, Alessandra Serrano. Well, on September 26, the American Crime Journal announced that, quote, AACJ has confirmed that Alessandra Serrano, who was the assistant U.S. attorney that oversaw the prosecution of Earl Buchanan, which I think was alluded to in Sound of Freedom, and later became chief legal officer for Operation Underground Railroad, has resigned. In a post on LinkedIn, Serrano wrote, quote, I'm proud to announce that I resigned from my current position at Operation Underground Railroad earlier this month. I stand with survivors no matter who or where they are. Hashtag me too, unquote. Now, they added that, quote, Alessandra Serrano's short time at Operation Underground Railroad was spent mostly acting as Tim Ballard's legal henchwoman by attacking journalists, advancing MAGA-Republican and QAnon-fueled conspiracy theories, and when she was used by Tim Ballard and the GOP to attack Biden administration nomination of Supreme Court Justice Associate uh, Ketanji Brown-Jackson during her confirmation hearings. By September 29th, close associate of Ballard, self-described muscle of the hour jump team operations and producer of Sound of Freedom, Utah's Attorney General Sean Reyes felt compelled to make a statement concerning the crisis regarding Ballard and Hour, and how it affected him and his office. Local KUTV reported that, quote, Utah Attorney General Sean Reyes issued a statement on the Tim Ballard allegations following Thursday's press conference at the state capitol concerning the group of women accusing the former Operation Underground Railroad leader of sexual misconduct. At the conference, Suzette Rasmussen read a declaration on behalf of the women who claimed that Ballard exposed them, quote, to sexual manipulation, spiritual manipulation, grooming, and sexual misconduct, unquote. In turn, Reyes released the following statement, quote, I am shocked and deeply saddened by these allegations, but these women must be heard to ensure all credible evidence can be presented. Now, such evidence should be appropriately considered by any tribunal that can weigh them against contrary evidence or defenses of the accused. I sincerely hope that there's due process and justice for all involved. Until we know more uh, through the resolution of these cases and complaints, I strongly believe that Tim Ballard and Auer deserve a presumption of innocence, just as women coming forward on these issues should have a presumption of credibility. Beyond that, I won't comment on the accusations made yesterday because I was not present to witness any of the alleged conduct. I don't have any information that can prove or disprove these claims. I can say that in all my interactions with Tim Ballard and Operation Underground Railroad over many years, I have never seen or experienced anything improper or illegal. 
To the contrary, what I have witnessed and the work we have done together, raising awareness of modern-day slavery, rescuing children, and providing aftercare service, has made, I believe, a positive impact in the world. The Utah AG's office will continue to do the difficult but critical work of combating human trafficking and other forms of exploitation through the investigations, prosecutions, and victim advocacy of its Secure Strike Force, Internet Crimes Against Children Task Force, Children's Justice Center, and the Utah Trafficking in Persons Task Force. Now, Attorney General uh, Reyes's general consultant, Alan Crooks, stated, quote, In light of so many unanswered questions and concerns, A.G. Reyes will not be endorsing anyone in Utah's 2024 U.S. Senate race. Now, the latter was the most tangible statement of withdrawal of Reyes from Ballard at that time, whom he had previously promoted for the Senate position. Before long, we'll see him throw Ballard under the bus more completely as the heat keeps turning up and not keep bragging about their exploits. In the Davis County, Utah investigation notes, which are now circulated, their 2020 interview with Dave Lopez, who, who had been made second in command of operations under Ballard and who left when he saw the deceptive operations and financial structure being set up, it's quoted by the county and FBI officials interviewing him that, quote, Dave stated that he knows uh, Sean Reyes, the Utah Attorney General, very well personally and believes he is aware of what Auer is doing. Dave believes that if this investigation moves forward, he believes Reyes will begin to distance himself from Auer. Now, in the same group's interview of Cheerston Stockwell, and listen to this Hours Director of Development, including writing grants in the local FBI office uh, where her interview was in 2021, from these same notes she is cited as saying that regarding a meeting Tim took her to about their group called Liberty 89, another group of his, quote, the people at the meeting included Tom Harrison, Ken Krogh, Hugh Vale, Tim Ballard. Cheerston said that they, quote, claim to have visions and special intelligence of the second coming. And, and she said that Tim shared, quote, secret things that I'm involved in, using Liberty 89 to restore America to the Mormon covenant, along with Elder Ballard. Now think about that. Each of these people in this meeting have their own intriguing history and exotic spiritual background, which we'll try to cite in the weeks ahead. Hugh Vale is an internationally known LDS, or Latter-day Saint, prepper in preparing for the apocalypse off the grid. And we will see that Tom Harrison is a secretive spiritual foundation for this group as a supposed near-death experience survivor whose interviewer of him has sold over 100,000 copies of the book Visions of Glory about Tom's visions of the end times to LDS preppers. And Tim, having been reported as stating, Tom told him about his destiny of being a Mormon prophet and president of the USA to bring in Jesus at his return. As they, they all form a doomsday cult that sees 
Liberty 89 as a vehicle for Americans to accept the Mormon covenant to usher in the last days, including channeling and necromancy with the ancient Mormon prophet Nephi. I'm not making this up. In the legal affidavit filed in the Utah courts from five women who claimed Ballard sexually assaulted them, most of the talk concerned details of how he groomed them and his sexual kiki preferences that his wife did not satisfy. But one plaintiff under oath stated about Tim on page 78 that, quote, he also had told me to read this book. It was called Visions of Glory and that he had met with a man who wrote it before he had died. His name was Tom Harrison, and that Tom had told him lots of visions that he had had that actually had Tim in them. He said that Tim would be a prophet of the LDS Church one day, and that he would be President of the United States, unquote. On page 12 of the amended plaintiff's filing in October, they add that, quote, Ballard claims to be blessed by Tom Harrison, both while Tom was alive and through Spear President Ken Krogh, claiming to anoint Ballard as a chosen one, not subject to the jurisdiction, listen, of government and church authorities. See exhibits N and O. Under the quote about us at the Liberty 89 website, they say that they will show that America, quote, made bad men good and good men better, unquote. Now, this phrase came from Mormon President David McKay in 1965 and recounted in their film, Every Member a Missionary. It itself likely derives from the older Masonic pledge to, to make good men better. As Mormon founder Joseph Smith and his leaders joined the Masonic Lodge shortly before his death and borrowed much of its imagery into the subsequent Mormon endowment ceremonies. Its course presenters include... Sean Reyes for Liberty 89, Tim Ballard, and Simon Sinek. Its partners are listed as Prager University, Glenn Beck, and Ready Man, which evidently preps people for the apocalypse, again based in Utah. Our team on the site includes Hugh Vale and Mark Mabry. They show their board of directors as having Ken Krogh, who is a founder of InsideSales.com, John Moreland, and Brad Bauer. This latter man, the son-in-law of Mormon apostle M. Russell Ballard, who claimed no association with Ballard and his crowd. Moreland is a venture capitalist and a tycoon of online business and a president of Operation Underground Railroad. Krogh is another internet tycoon. According to his bio on the AAG Speakers Bureau, Ken has been recently recognized as number two in the world for social selling and is one of the tw top 25 most influential people in the inside sales industry by the American Association of Inside Sales Professionals. He also had a traumatic brain injury from an accident and resulted in depression, and claims elsewhere to have been healed by Tom Harrison. He's also president of the Spear Fund, which Tim Ballard fled to after being urged to leave our earlier this summer. Its nonprofit Form 990s, which go back to 2017, show Krogh as one of the directors of the Liberty and Light nonprofit that Spear uses for its nonprofit donations. And Ballard bragged that they had taken over it, although it uses the name Equitrust Foundation on 
its actual IRS forms, curiously. On September 29th, download to the Ward uh, radio channel on YouTube, which supports the Mormon community, the host quotes his interview with Ken Krogh. Of him, he says, quote, I found him to be a very transparent and ethical person. And, quote, I see him doing his absolute due diligence. Uh, and Ken told him that, quote, I think regarding the allegations of Tim Ballard, that I think these are 100% false. And you can even use the phrase, so help me God. I've been fighting this for two months now. Now remember, he runs the spear fund that Tim works for now. I would be the first one to burn it down if I thought it was true. Now we will see that Krogh hangs with Ballard for a good while more. But his spear website will ultimately tell the truth. Now we have... Uh, still have not revealed the full circle of characters in the greater Tim Ballard orbit and their eccentricities, hidden agendas, and disturbing doomsday and occult proclivities that form the foundation of their purposes and direction, and justified and Christian-sounding rationales. However, we have shown in this report the seminal meeting of the Liberty 89 insiders, including Ballard, Krogh, Harrison, and Vale centered on Harrison's presumed and widely distributed visions of the end times, and possibly Ballard's national destiny. Harrison understood as being the Spencer pseudonym in the blockbuster Visions of Glory book. But other characters will emerge, including those with an important Nashville connection. Next time, we will see his close and powerful friend Glenn Beck come to a crossroads in his staunch support for his friend, and then make a choice, and others will follow suit as the stakes rise with new lawsuits filed, including criminal charges, just in the next couple of weeks in this narrative. Before I resume our review of the historical section from my book, Two Masters and Two Gospels, Volume 1, we need to take a break for more music for meditation. If you're as confused as I am in trying to keep straight the full roster of players of the Tim Ballard saga, their contributions uh, to the story and timelines, their agendas, and their degree of loyalty for or against Ballard at any given time, well, I guess we're not alone. And hopefully the most important issues, players, and events will rise to the surface eventually. But no one knows how this ultimately plays out. With their apocalyptic, occult, near-term financial, and even sexual lust agendas, it is difficult to grasp how vast this story will become and if the evangelicals will ever get wise to the scandal that has been building and exposed for years. It is a microcosm of the political morass in which we never thought we would see a sitting president to direct mobs to attack sitting congressmen in session with gallows to lynch his, his own second-in-command after being impeached twice for withholding critical foreign aid before a war to gain personal political favors, and in intimidating state election figures to throw elections caught on tape, and that he would subsequently be a likely favorite to sway voters to put him back into office. This would even trump the dreadful days of 1968 with its race riots and assassinations of Martin Luther King and Robert Kennedy and the Tet Offensive in Vietnam while drugs filled the streets. 
a time when the socially conscious psychedelic soul music genre was born. At the forefront were Motown's Temptations. By 1970, they recorded a song that accurately described the bedlam that our society has become, with corruption in politics, religion, and popular culture. While the band plays on in our entertainment, only accelerated now on all fronts by our social media high overturn content. Listen carefully to the words of Ball of Confusion, and then we'll be back to the Two Spies Report. People moving out, people moving in, why? Because of the color of the skin. Run, 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 but you sure can't hide. And I, boy, and I, a tooth for a tooth, both for me, and I'll set you free. Rap on, brother, rap on. Well, the only person talking about love, nine brother, is the preacher. Seeds. Nobody's interested in learning but the teacher. Segregation, determination, demonstration, integration, aggravation, humiliation, obligation to our Give me talking to you, it's a ball of the 
friends, we're going to have to stop right there. So that's another edition of the Two Spies Report. In our next report, we will continue with our review for my book, Two Masters and Two Gospels, Volume 1, The Teaching of Jesus versus the Leaven of the Pharisees and Talk Radio and Cable News, in which I encourage you to obtain in print or ebook form, either at Amazon or Barnes & Noble or other sites, to digest this material and contemplate its implications. We will then consider some other narratives from other biographers of Alcoholics Anonymous founder Bill Wilson, which delve into even darker occultic and paranormal pursuits that will lead him to the use of psychedelic drugs and the spiritual mentorship of Gerald Hurd. Please send any comments about the short questions to twospiesreport at gmail.com. That's T-W-O spies, S-P-I-A-S, report at gmail.com. Please join us back here at 5 p.m. Central each Thursday at Radio Free Nashville, WRFN at 107.1 and 103.7 FM on the dial, or streaming online at www.radiofreenashville.org. See you next Thursday at 5. Until then, keep exploring like the two spies, assessing and staying positive, and be willing to stand against the crowd. Good evening. Walking down the road with the good book in my hand Telling all my friends about the promised land Of the joy to find there and the peace of mind Telling all my brothers all that I can find Jesus of him the